Why am I doing this right now? Seriously, why am I doing this? Why am I recording content about the Washington Redskins right now? In September 2019. Why are you listening to it? Why are any of us doing this? What are we even doing here? It doesn't make any sense, people. We are sick. Sorry, I forgot the real uh, intro stuff. This is Brent. This is Burgundy Blogcast. I do Burgundy Blog on Twitter. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, This is the fourth episode of Season 5 of Burgundy Blogcast. I used to like the Redskins, and I used to like talking about them and tweeting about them and uh, podcasting with friends, dialoguing about them, really trying to, you know, figure out what makes them tick, compliment the good things, criticize the bad things. Occasionally dig up a little news, try and predict the future. These are fun things to do when you're a fan of a sports team. Or at least they used to be. But let's face it, none of this really brings me much joy anymore. And most of us that are still left, I think if we're being honest, are really more addicted than invested. It's a sad, sad state of affairs, made increasingly painful and decreasingly rational by the week, and intensified all the more by today's three touchdown defeat at the hands of a bad team and a hated rival, the Giants, when desperately needing a win to avoid falling to 0-4 and 0-3 in the division, mind you, the Redskins came out and yet again almost immediately went down by 14 points. For dedicated longtime fans like you and me, there is no longer really any enjoyment to be had in just watching the Redskins. These days, the only satisfaction is in the hate-watching. Coming into this Week 4 game, Case Keenum's season had gone a little bit like this. He was actually pretty good in the loss to the Eagles, or at least he was clearly adequate. Then he was kind of like, okay, at best, in another loss to the Cowboys. Then last week, of course, on Monday Night Football, he was atrocious against the Bears with five turnovers. So that was three games. Of course, that's a pretty small sample size, but that was not a good trajectory, people. Old Case was not exactly demonstrating the hoped-for game-over-game improvement in the early far- early part of his first year here with the Redskins. Yes, I said fart by accident, probably because this has been one big wet fart of a season. So coming into week four, sitting at 0-3 with the season, for all intents and purposes, already over, even though, of course, head coach Jay Gruden was not at liberty to admit that publicly. My feeling was that there probably was no reason not to just go ahead and welcome in the future by trying to uh, practice up, coach up, train up the highly touted, but of course, very inexperienced first-round rookie Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. And yes, of course, I acknowledge there were some good reasons to argue against giving Haskins his first career start today. Redskins were playing on the road. Redskins were, of course, going up against a team quarterbacked by another first-round rookie, which I suppose you could say might have added to the pressure a little bit. Probably most importantly, there is this prevailing feeling we have been told among the coaching staff that Haskins just simply is not ready yet. And if true, then yes, certainly I agree that this concern should trump the others. And then more acutely, there's the fact that in addition to Trent Williams being absent due to holdout, uh, the starting center, Chase Roulier, had been ruled out ahead of time, and then at game time, Brandon Sheriff was also ruled out. So clearly the offensive line was not at full strength either. So I get it. I get it. There there were some, you know, valid reasons for not pulling the trigger on Dwayne Haskins just yet. But on the other hand, again, season was pretty much already shot. Case was getting worse by the game, and even though he was able to practice, Case was also coming off a foot injury, which Jay Gruden certainly had no problem using as an excuse for Case in today's postgame presser. 
Well, wouldn't you know it, Case came out and stunk up the joint again today. He threw another interception by trying to force the ball into too tight a window to Robert Davis. And, of course, he badly missed Trey Quinn on two deep balls, both of which probably and one of which definitely would have been touchdowns. And, of course, by now we all know what happened after that. Jay felt compelled to insert Dwayne in relief. Here was the moment we've been waiting for, right? Our first glimpse in live regular season action at the most important current player for the Redskins' future. I guess we were supposed to be excited, right? Well, here's the problem. Jay Gruden had stubbornly, I'd say, stuck to his season-long convention, which, as we've been told many times recently, is indeed a typical NFL-wide convention of not giving any significant first-team practice reps to the backup quarterback. So what we ended up getting was Dwayne Haskins seeing his first NFL regular season action, not only being inexperienced as he is and not fully ready, but also without having had the benefit of any significant first-team practice in over a month. Nice plan. Nice plan, guys. Your starting quarterback is lightly injured and getting worse by the game. Your backup quarterback is a rookie who only started 15 games in college and has never played in the regular season in the NFL and who's only been running scout team in practice. And so yeah, Haskins didn't look very good. He threw three picks, two of which were primarily his fault. He took two long sacks. He generally held onto the ball way too long and his QB rating was 32. So no, I'm not really happy about any of this. As a matter of fact, I don't particularly feel that I was proven right or wrong in my previous desire for Haskins to be named the starter because he was not named the starter. That's not to say that he clearly would have gone on to become NFC Offensive Player of the Week if he had had a full week of normal practice, but this whole thing just represents continued poor management of bad circumstances. Neither quarterback played well, but I certainly didn't come away from the game thinking that Jay's decision to stick with Case had been validated. I think some big congratulations are in order to the Redskins' defense in this Week 4 loss for successfully holding an opponent to under 30 points. Good job, guys. You held them to 24 points. Okay, actually, one of those touchdowns did come on the Jabril Peppers pick six, so I gotta mention that for completeness. But look, nobody's gonna act like the Redskins' defense was actually good again today. Or not again, but good today. I don't know why I said again. They haven't been good in a calendar year. Here's the key thing to fuel your continued outrage about the Redskins' defense, people. Coming into today, through three games, the Redskins' defense on third downs was allowing conversion on 64% of opportunities. That is not only worst in the NFL, is worst by very, very far, and, in fact, on pace to be the worst mark over the course of a season in the Super Bowl era. Well, what did they do today? 8 of 13 were the Giants on third down. Eight times in 13 chances, Daniel Jones and the Giants converted a third down. 61% right on track, guys. It is positively ludicrous how bad the Redskins defense has been through four games on third down. Like, it's never happened before. Just unbelievably bad on the most important down. You already knew that Greg Minuski was not an NFL caliber defensive coordinator. And at this point, who the hell knows which coaches are going to get fired and which ones will be left to limp on. It really doesn't much matter anymore. It's not worth trying to predict because the owner and the de facto general manager do not operate with any sort of consistent logic. But the point is, continuing to field a defense primarily supervised by Greg Minuski is an insult to the sport. Let's not forget that the Giants offense has been bad, that their quarterback was in his second ever game, that the best player on that entire team is their running back, who was injured and didn't play, and that the Redskins' defense actually 
forced four takeaways. Do you know how hard it is to lose by three touchdowns when you force four turnovers? I mean, it was bad enough as it was, but if Quentin Dunbar hadn't been out there today with his two interceptions, this thing would have been another massacre. Coming back to Haskins for a second, since he's, let's face it, pretty much the only thing worth talking about anymore these days. He didn't look great. It was certainly not a banner debut. He was holding on to the ball too long several times. Uh, he's clearly going to need to work on speeding up that internal clock. One of his interceptions bounced right off of Vernon Davis's chest, but it certainly seemed like the kind of thing where they just were not synced up well. And I don't know how you could say whether it's clearly more Vernon's or Dwayne's fault. The first two picks were just not great throws, and both kind of looked to me like instances where Haskins was just trying to do too much. That's something you would think that he'll gradually learn, and I'm not going to kill him for it when he entered the game down two touchdowns on the road. I mean, he was trying to do too much because he kind of had to do something if they were going to have any chance. But it certainly was not a total debacle. He did a few things well. He had several nice short to medium range passes, including two nice connections to Kelvin Harmon. He had a very nifty 15-yard scramble uh, down to get him close to the goal line on the position that ended up being the field goal for their only points. Although he did apparently miss an open Vernon Davis on third down to bring up that field goal. Maybe best of all, he certainly did not seem ruined by the experience afterwards. He showed pretty good body language, and he said, as he has said really pretty much all along since being drafted, all the right things from the podium afterward. I really don't think he's the kind of guy or has the sort of personality where some of these early failures are going to ruin his career or give him David Carr syndrome. I also don't care too terribly much about his performance when the team's best tackle is at home holding out. The starting center and right guard were both out injured. The team's best pass catcher hasn't played all season with a concussion, and the team's most productive pass catcher this season was also out with a hamstring. By the way, that guy, McLaurin, is not someone whose chemistry with Haskins is an unknown quantity. Those two could certainly end up being special together. So yeah, Haskins' first action was kind of a mixed bag, definitely more bad than good, but not a total embarrassment. And I'll care more about how he does if and when he gets an NFL caliber offensive line and at least one legitimate target. Oh, and also when uh, Kevin O'Connell or some as yet unidentified individual is calling all of the plays because Jay Gruden is not going to be Dwayne Haskins' caretaker for much longer. Here's a little segment on a few other guys who were not good today. Josh Norman. Hey, actually, on the one hand, he did not get burned for a super long touchdown, which was a mild upset. And I will actually give him that I saw him make a few solid tackles, but he dropped uh, what looked like it probably would have been a pretty easy interception. And he also had a face mask on Wayden Gallman on a long gain down to the goal line on that play where he actually got hurt, although he did come back. So Josh, uh, you were not a total disaster today, but you are still making an ungodly amount of money and you are still performing at a below average level. Next one I'm sad to say is Cole Holcomb, the very promising rookie who had a terrific summer and flashed several times in the first few games. Not his best outing. He had lots of problems in coverage today. Seemed to be having a hard time keeping his footing. Got burned pretty badly on the first touchdown pass. That's all right. He still looks like a good draft pick, but not such a great game for Cole Holcomb. Uh, Morgan Moses, come on down. You, Morgan, continue to false start on almost every offensive snap. And I actually feel like the team is almost getting away with something on every single play when they don't call you for a false start. You had at least one more holding penalty today. And at this point, I just, I'm not even sure it's possible for you to play an entire game without committing at least one holding penalty. And I seem to recall you got beaten at least once for a sack. Morgan, you have also been one of the most vocal complainers this year about not only the refs, 
but also your own team's handling of teammate Trent Williams. So you're going to keep getting lots of scrutiny from me and others. Anyway, I think that concludes this brief segment of other guys who sucked today. I'm really not sure why it turned into me directly addressing those individuals. I hope none of you are listening because I'm certainly aware that all of you could easily pulverize me. Um, In case you guys had not noticed, um, because you've been distracted by the QB quandary, and I would not entirely blame you for that, but the Redskins' running game is totally abysmal. Like, it really doesn't even exist. Adrian Peterson was their leading rusher today. He had 11 carries for 28 yards. Their longest run of the game was that scramble by Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I will acknowledge again that the uh, offensive line is still without Trent Williams, and today was additionally without Rullier and Sheriff, because that's what we do here. We make excuses for this team to make it seem like their totally unacceptable performance is justified. But this kind of thing has been happening all season. Injuries be damned. Many people still believe, and um, some people whose opinions I highly value are included, but many think Jay Gruden, for all of his shortcomings as a head coach, is still a really, really good and smart offensive mind and offensive coordinator coordinator type person. And I, I don't know. I mean, he does sometimes seem to be able to scheme pass catchers open. But his inability or the combined ability of Jay Gruden and Bill Callahan and maybe even wonderkind Kevin O'Connell should be viewed as a huge stain on the resume for everyone who has a hand in this year's Redskins offense and really all six years of Redskins offense under Jay Gruden. He has never really been able to make the running game materialize. He never picked a primary running scheme. He never forged a primary bell cow back. Jay Gruden might be an ex-quarterback, and he may know the best combination of routes to beat cover three, but he's not a balanced or complete offensive manager because he just never really got that part right. And for those who are hoping that Kevin O'Connell will take over the reins, you better be hoping he's got something along those lines that's still up his sleeve. One corollary on this topic, Chris Thompson had a really nice gain, a 39-yard gain, on a good-looking screenplay today. That's because Chris Thompson is a really good player, and he's a really good screen player. In my opinion, he has been criminally underutilized this year on a team with very few legitimate pass-catching threats and no running game. He should probably have twice as many carries and twice as many targets as he's got, but in particular, the screenplay, the designed screen pass to Chris Thompson, specifically, should have been, coming into this year, like the number one play that this offense was going to lean on. Chris Thompson should be getting a screen three times a game minimum, bare minimum. It is a proxy for a run game, it is a supplement to a passing game, and it slows down the opposing pass rush. Screens, in my opinion, are underused throughout the NFL, but just wildly, crazily underused by this current iteration of the Redskins. I did not include him in my uh, Guys Who Sucked segment. But Landon Collins uh, certainly did not produce any vivid memories in his first revenge game at the Meadowlands. He was okay overall, uh, although he did get uh, embarrassingly broken down in coverage by Evan Ingram in the first quarter. Collins has been fine so far this year, certainly not the problem or really even a problem, but fine is a disappointment considering the hype and the money. The season's a quarter of the way over now. It's kind of time for him to start actually setting the tone. Or making some big plays. Today when it was already 24-3, he got in on like a combo tackle for a loss or for a very short gain. And I saw him off to the side of the screen doing one of these um, patented, elaborate handshake things with one of the other defensive backs. I don't know if you caught that. I thought it was kind of embarrassing. I mean, the game was wrapped up. They had gotten whipped. And he was 
like celebrating a marginal good play for more than a few seconds. I'm not really trying to jump all over him. I, he's fine. He's, he's probably going to be better. And I mean, I still don't like hate the signing, but uh, he's been just okay. And again, just okay is disappointing in the context of all the fanfare. If he was supposed to come in here and be a new defensive leader and a tone setter, then uh, his contract needed to be justified by a significant overall improvement in the defense as a unit. That hasn't happened at all. In fact, somehow they've regressed, which seemed almost impossible. Or else, yeah, he needed to post some numbers, some statistics. I know he's a defender, but if they bring you in to be the tone setter and the team is getting worse, you should at least have some passes defensed or some forced fumbles or a couple of interceptions to fall back on. But he's not making big plays, and the defense is not scaring anyone. So, so far, that investment is just not paying off. Undrafted uh, rookie wide receiver Steven Sims Jr. had a really nice kickoff return for like 90-plus yards, I think. Of course, called back due to a penalty, because how could the Redskins ever make a nice play without also committing a penalty? But I was just going to say that he looks kind of good. I mean, he had the one game earlier this year where they gave him a few touches out of the backfield. And I would say he already kind of looks like the most credible threat the Redskins have had at kick returner in a very long time. I realize kick returns are being marginalized anyway. But uh, he's kind of like one very small, very faint, bright spot in an otherwise dark, cloudy year. He's one of those guys also who I just kind of, you know, when I see him walking around on the field during a game and carries himself and moves in a way that resonates. I don't know. And of course, he's got the blazing speed. He just kind of looks like he might actually turn into a decent football player, maybe in like a Taylor Gabriel kind of way. I hope as this season inevitably devolves into basically just practice time that the Redskins will try to get him some more burn in the offense. I'm not sure how much it really even matters what happens with the coaching staff this week and going forward. We know that Greg Minuski cannot run a professional defense, and we know that Jay Gruden will not be the coach beyond this year. We don't know, but I would encourage you to all presume that no interim defensive coordinator or interim head coach who could realistically be named tomorrow or next week or the week after is at all likely to turn things around significantly. For DC, I would say Tom Sula would be the guy that I would probably like to see get it most just because, well, Tom Sula's hilarious and kind of a lunatic, so that could possibly yield some entertainment value. For head coach or interim head coach, I'm pretty sure the right move would be to try O'Connell, since he's definitely the only guy on this entire staff who would deserve more than even a passing thought as a legitimate candidate for the actual successor to Jay Gruden. And it would be very interesting, therefore, to see, I mean, most importantly, how Haskins would respond to O'Connell being in charge, so you could get a little taste of that possible future. Then again, maybe you could at least partially accomplish that by just making Kevin O'Connell officially full-time play caller. I don't know, but come on, it really just doesn't matter. This season's lost. It would be very nice to at least salvage it for 12 games worth of experience for the guy who's supposed to be your quarterback of the next decade. All of that said, I make absolutely no apology for the following. If I was not already, at least not outwardly, I am now officially and publicly rooting for losses in every game for the rest of the season. And frankly, I don't understand why anyone else would not be. There is no culture here that the Redskins need to be trying to build or preserve. I mean, yes, there's overall team culture. Franchise organizational culture needs, as I've covered in great depth, a 100% overall overhaul. But in my opinion, there is absolutely no such momentum to be had from this point forward because the coaching staff leading you into 2020 is not here. I reserve the right, I guess, to possibly change this opinion at some point if and only if Kevin O'Connell indeed 
becomes interim head coach because it is still possible that the Redskins won't even be able to find a better candidate than him in January. And it would be a little tough, I guess, going into next year with him as your guy if things had just been disastrous under him in November or December of this year. But in all likelihood, a huge portion of the coaching staff and, fingers crossed, hopefully a non-trivial part of the front office will be different next year. Everything will be reset in terms of expectations, locker room, yada, yada, yada. Next year will not be year two or year three of a new regime. It will be year one. You're going to have a hard time selling me on the idea of momentum from this season into next season for the Redskins. I'm kind of a skeptic about that concept for all teams in general, but with an inevitable coaching staff turnover, I'm just not buying it at all. Therefore, especially considering that maybe, possibly, the one important thing that the Redskins have not been completely dysfunctional at doing over the last few years is drafting. I feel very strongly that getting a high draft pick in every round, especially since you're already lacking your second rounder, but getting like a top five pick in the first and third rounds and then throughout is of much, much greater value to this franchise. Whether they want to use the pick or trade out of the pick to a team salivating over one of these quarterback prospects, those high picks will be much more valuable than two or three pointless wins as they're just playing out the string. Some of you are probably just going to totally hate this perspective, but I have a feeling a feeling it will be fewer of you than it has been in years past. At this point, just freaking tank, basically. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know, tanking, not really a real thing. All the players are always going to try. All the coaches are always going to try. I get it. Everybody's got their own definition of tanking. But from my perspective, I don't even care if Haskins gets named the starter tomorrow. I want Haskins to play well, but I want the Redskins to lose every game for the rest of the year. Sorry, I said it. Losing 14, 15, or dare I hope 16 games at this point would serve two very critical purposes. Number one, further exposure and humiliation of Bruce Allen. And number two, draft capital. I want Haskins to look good, but I do not care if he racks up wins under whoever is coaching this team in 2019. It doesn't matter. He's a confident guy. He can take these lumps. Please sign me up for a top three pick in April. Okay, I've got one last heavy thought to drop on you here. During my seven-month hibernation from Twitter and the blogcast between January and August of 2019, a popular discussion point on Twitter and talk radio regarding the Redskins was a strategy for dealing with the great burden of Alex Smith's contract that was referenced by some as the nuclear option, which would have involved releasing Alex Smith and absorbing the entirety of his whopping $52.6 million cap hit in 2019, all at once, one fell swoop. Like an atomic bomb on Alex Smith's brief, cursed tenure with the Redskins, and probably on this year for the team. The attraction to the so-called nuclear option, of course, is that it would have enabled the Redskins to get out from under Alex Smith's contract to be free and clear of all cap-related implications of Alex Smith, made by injury a great albatross before the 2020 season rather than dragging out that hit into 2020, 2021, and even a little bit in 2022. That is a sexy idea for a team ready to rebuild. The obvious downside to the nuclear option was that absorbing that much cap hit for one player alone would have logically made it very difficult to field a competitive team. And that's why most thought it would have meant throwing in the towel on this year, and further that it may even be impossible based on previous commitments and realistic basic needs. Now, as we know, The Redskins decided not to opt for the nuclear option. They did not cut Alex Smith. They decided to stretch this thing out at least over two additional years, primarily, as best we can tell, because Bruce Allen and his band of numbskulls were unwilling to flush 2019. 
because of Bruce's indomitable competitive spirit, sense of responsibility to Redskins fans everywhere, his decision rooted firmly in natural football intelligence. And because I, Brent, of Burgundy Blog, was in a period of self-imposed silence, contemplating the future of my fanhood as spring turned to summer, you did not hear much from me, or anything from me on the subject, at the peak of its interest. But at this time, I would like to show you my receipts for the suggestion of a plan that the Redskins surely should have enacted. I'd like to refer you to my tweet from Christmas Day 2018, which first acknowledges the whopping $52.6 million the Redskins would have been forced to absorb in dead cap for cutting Alex Smith prior to the 2019 league year, but then outlines a plan for cutting nine specific players and recouping the $12 million towards the cap in insurance stipulated in Alex Smith's contract for cases of prohibitive injury. Those nine players and their respective cap savings are as follows. Josh Norman, $8.5 million. Jordan Reed, $6.1 million. Zach Brown, $5.8 million. Vernon Davis, 5 Swearinger, 4.5 Colt McCoy, 3.5 Chris Thompson, 3 Stacy McGee, 2.4 Mason Foster, $2 million. And let me further draw your attention to the fact that of those nine players, which I advise releasing, on Christmas Day of 2018, only three of them have actually even played a regular season down for the Redskins in 2019. Josh Norman, who's been bad, Vernon Davis, who's been okay but marginal, and Chris Thompson, who's been good and who I love, but who's been totally underutilized. So again, my plan involved cutting nine specific players, only three of whom have actually even taken the field this year. Jordan Reed's been hurt, as expected. Zach Brown and Swearinger were both cut, as I recommended. Colt McCoy's been hurt as expected, and McGee and Foster also were both actually cut as I recommended. So here's the punchline. Cutting Alex Smith would have been a whopping $52.6 million dead cap hit, but cutting those nine guys, only three of whom have even touched the field this season, and none of whom have made a substantial positive impact, plus recouping $12 million of insurance, would have saved the Redskins $52.8 million in cap space. They could have done my plan and gotten Alex Smith completely off of the books Long before the first game of 2020 and the first game of their next head coach, they could have done it and it barely would have affected the team that they have actually fielded in the first month of 2019. And guess what, friends? That team, my team, my imaginary team, with no Alex Smith and with just enough cap space and with only one or two fewer quote-unquote stars, would not currently have fewer wins than the actual version does, which is zero. You should have done it. You should have tanked. This season was an obvious fail coming in. Everybody but Bruce Allen knew that this season was going to be a disaster for the Redskins. As big of a disaster as it currently looks? No, maybe not quite that bad. But Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder are the only people in the world who thought the Redskins were actually close. You could have gotten free and clear, and you would not have been any worse off at all. By definition, by mathematical definition. This nuclear option was dismissed widely as unthinkable, but it was obviously the right move all along. I was screaming it into my dashboard for months as I listened to the topic being discussed on Sports Talk Radio, even as I planned my blogging retirement. They should have had the balls to do it then, and the current reality completely supports that. But instead, even if the Redskins move on from all three at the end of this year, which it certainly seems that they will, Alex Smith, Josh Norman, and Jordan Reed, those three cuts will impose a substantial $37 million in dead cap handicap for 2020 and beyond. I know the cap is going up every year, people, but $37 million would be a pretty nice little nest egg for a true rebuild. By the way, if they had pulled the ripcord on the nuclear plan 
for Alex Smith, it would have been completely reasonable and natural to actually trade Trent Williams before the draft for a first-round pick plus, and it would have made sense to everybody, and you would have gotten no fewer games out of him. The nuclear option was the only option. Thanks for nothing, Bruce. (laughs) 